Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. When I think of someone who is unstoppably creative, I think of Leonie Dawson, who is my guest today. As you'll hear, Leonie is an artist, writer, and inveterate experimenter who built a seven-figure business by trying as many things as possible to see what she loved the most and runs on the philosophy that whoever's having the most fun wins. We talk about everything from how she encourages creativity with her kids, to her decision to leave social media, to the fact that it really is okay to decide not only who you want to work with, but who you don't, and a whole lot more. This is a wide-ranging conversation that offers a lot to chew on for any creative soul or entrepreneur. There is some strong language in this episode. Without further ado, here's Leonie Dawson. Hi, Nancy. Hello, Leonie. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for for allowing me to do this. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. I always start by asking my guests how they got started in their creative pursuits, whether something that they did as a kid or something they found later. So what's your story? Oh, for me, it's definitely something I've always done. Um, I knew from the age of four that I wanted to be a writer or an artist or a poet or somebody who changed the world. Um, And the practical parts of life were never something that were super (laughs) up my alley. It's something I've had to teach myself later. I'm like, oh, okay, I need to survive. (laughs) Funny how that works. Yeah. So, I mean, how did were your family supportive of that or did they try to tell you no no, you have to do something sensible and practical that, you know, will earn you a solid living or did they just roll with whatever it was that you wanted to do? Um, so on one level super supportive in that they like encouraged all my creative pursuits and even when they had no money, they would spend their last bits of money on providing me with like um anything that would help extend me um, like I remember my mom I wanted to learn guitar and I remember they she bought me a guitar for a hundred dollars and it was the last money they had in their bank account and she was like I actually don't know how we're going to buy groceries this week but sure we'll buy you a guitar wow. uh, spoiler alert I am a terrible musician <laughs> but we learned that um, so on that front very very supportive and I'm very grateful for that um, particularly my mum um, but in terms of it being a career like no that was not an option my parents always said you cannot have a creative career you will not earn any money from it all artists are starving uh, and they also said you know don't have a business either because uh, all businesses fail in the first five years and they also told me not to earn over the highest tax bracket because then I'd be earning too much tax so I listened to probably none of that <laughs> clearly <laughs> just thinking hmm how did that work out <laughs> I know I know I'm somebody who definitely earns in the highest tax bracket with a creative business blah, 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 blah. yeah liter- literally everything they told you not to do I love it I love it yeah so the the guitar failed but other yes, things did guitar. not no no not not whatsoever like for me i think the the art and the writing has always just been a, a constant um and for me when blogging started i thought it was the most amazing invention ever back in like 2004 i think i found blogs uh, and for me, I was like, oh, my God, this is a way I can share my creations with the world. This is how I can share my journal with the world. And I remember, like, when I was a teenager, I went to boarding school for a while and um, it was awesome. And our art teacher gave us these big, beautiful journals that to use as, like, artist sketchbooks. And I would draw in it and paint in it and collage it and then I would send it around my boarding school do- dorm and everyone could read my diary and like everyone was like um are you not embarrassed <laughs> I was like why why would I be embarrassed but then other people started doing it as well and I got to see their journals and it's it was just the greatest joy so I still do exactly that and I feel like I get to send my journal around the world now um, without having to chase it down in the boarding school you know yeah and I have to think that 
anybody who thought that it would be embarrassing to share a journal found themselves less embarrassed once more people were doing it. And you could all see that, you know, I'm not the only one who is worried about this or scared about that or, you know, is a huge fan of whoever was popular at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, I, I learned very early on that it's a real gift and it's a, it's a powerful thing to be vulnerable. Uh, it's not a weak thing whatsoever. I, You know, so many people talk about that now, but I feel like there's a huge gap between understanding, you know, like anybody who's read Brene Brown or, you know, any number of other people. It's like, yeah, yeah, this vulnerability thing, that's great. And yet, if they have to actually do it, they're like, it's great for everybody else. I'm not so, um, um, no, you can just pass. I'll, I'll pass for now. You you go right ahead. So since you brought that up, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Sure. I mean, for me, I am not vulnerable 24-7 with the whole wide world. You know, like I pick and choose. And, um, you know, I'm kind of well known for talking about all parts of life you know I've shared about postnatal depression and my depressive episodes and the the parts in life that are really difficult and um, however I don't tend to like live stream them I tend to you know seek support in my inner circle first and get through it and then be able to look back on it and then create and share from that place because um I don't know if it is a it would be a healthy or helpful thing for me to live stream yeah. the shitholery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, it's like it's not necessarily an all or nothing thing. You gotta yeah. pick your moments. Yeah, you have to know like, is this the right place for me to share this is this the right people to share it with is it going to be met in a supportive manner because you can't be vulnerable in toxic situations you can't um or with people who don't understand boundaries all that kind of stuff You've, you do have to pick your vulnerable places in order to create safety for yourself to be vulnerable and i think when you do that it it creates the safety for other people to to see how they can do it safely. Yeah, I I hope so. I hope so. I feel like it's all just like an, an enormous experiment. I've got no clue. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something that's really freeing about seeing things as an experiment. You know, if you'd be like, yeah. oh, hey, that one worked, this one not so much. Maybe I'll do more of that and I'll try something else instead of this other thing. Yeah, it's all just a big science experiment. And, of course, the parameters of time will change as well. So sometimes when you try out the exact same thing, it's not going to work at a different time or with a different audience. It's so funny. Right. I mean, blogging is just not the same thing that now that it was 15 years ago. So, yeah. so that alone is a, is a great example of how you can find your niche, but then things move on and you got to figure out what you're going to try instead. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, hilariously, though, I have absolutely stuck with blogging. Like, it is still my major. Um, I don't know if I would call it my major marketing, um, but I guess it does function in that. It's just that I've tried out social media. You know, I've done, you know, 10 years of it. And then I quit earlier this year. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So I was like, you know what? It's not the right place for me to connect with people. And it's also not the right place for me to to put my creations Blogging's always been the best place for me. So um, I don't care what the trends are doing. I keep creating from what I feel like is the best place for my work. Um, and if people are cool to join on that, awesome. I'm st I've still got, you know, a, a seven-figure-a-year creative business doing things that are not yeah. on trend. <laughs> I feel like that is such... A great example, and I do want to get back to the actual art and, you know, how you got the business going. I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but I feel like, you know, so many, so many people, especially creative people, think that they have to create what someone else wants. And I yeah. feel like that is such a huge mistake because 
if you're not creating the things that you love and the things that you want to do, it's not going to have the same impact, the, the same quality and the same effect because the love for it won't be baked into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fabulous that you are this great example of... I don't care what everybody else says you should do. I'm just going to do my thing because it obviously works so well for you. And I think it would work well for a lot of the people who think they can't do that too. It's just that they haven't figured that out. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for me, like I've always, like from a purely practical point of view, I've always kind of married my blog with my mailing list so anything I create on my on my blog goes out to my mailing list so you know on one level because newsletters are the new big thing uh, like I've somehow managed to be on trend again but like I was like I did newsletters like back when it was like a new invention as well it all just comes back in circles really it's like fashion right every so many years it all it all comes back so so like I said I want to get back to how you started doing seriously creative stuff and how that led into creating your business and, and where you went with it from there, which is a huge question. So feel free to start where it makes the most sense and and tell us how that went. Sure. I mean, for me, it was like play. And like, I always feel concerned when people are like, oh, I just need to find out my purpose or I need to find out what I need to do. Like, it's a hard thing. You get to play, you get to explore, you get to experience and you get to like write a big list of all the things you've ever possibly wondered about and then go try them out. Like I even did fucking belly dancing once. Like I am not somebody who's, no, but I gave it a go because it was on my list of things to try out. So there was like a few years there where I was just trying out everything Um, and Married with the fact that I was sharing about it online as well. It started with like message boards. This is before social mm-hmm. media. Um, and I found a message board that I just loved and met some wonderful people on. And 20 years on, that, so there's still a bunch of that are my friends and are clients and all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, I was building those relationships then and sharing about what I did then. And so everything that I made, it was like artworks or I started selling printed markets and then selling on Etsy and doing custom commission and then started blogging and then did like retreats and workshops and tarot reading and all the things. I would just try it all and see what it was like. Um, And I would share about it online as well. And, you know, I would get kind of instant feedback from people, how they were connecting with it. Um, So it was just this beautiful experimental thing. And then somebody one day on a message board said to me, oh, my God, I love that painting. Can I buy it from you? And I was like, what? People (laughs) like, what? This is a rot. I can't believe I'm getting paid to do something I adore. Um, And it just continued to evolve from there. And so my business really grew from just playing, trying out new things. Um, And then when I heard about e-courses back in 2008, I think it was, um, like the first, like, I remember one of my best mates calling me, oh my God, I've just heard of somebody doing an online course for art. And I was like, what? What is this? I want to do that. Um, and by that point, I'd shared so much about the workshops I'd done in person. People that read my blog or on the message boards were like, oh, I so wish I could be there in person. I was like, oh, I could create an online experience. That would be amazing. So I did. And um, it's just continued to grow from there, just creating more and more e-courses and books and anything else I feel called to making, really. And there's been so much that that you've created it's kind of mind-blowing I mean I I found you when you still had the goddess circle on Ming oh my god (laughs) in the olden days right I was looking at your name and I was like I'm pretty sure I know this one from a long while ago yeah. And, and it's been fascinating to see how it's evolved. And then, you know, because I don't, I don't even know how many people you had subscribed to that, but I'm sure it was a large number, like a really large yeah. number. And, and then you moved everything onto Facebook and, or most oh, of it think, onto Facebook. 
I think I had a, maybe a private forum for a while. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. And then, Facebook. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I remember thinking, well, that's interesting because everything will be in one place rather than because, you know, on Ning, it was all organized by topic yes. or course or, you know, whichever it was. And, and Facebook was more of free for all. Here's the group. Yeah. Just talk about whatever. Um, and then one day it was gone. And I was like whoa what happened <laughs> and like somehow I had missed the notice and I was like oh right Leonie got rid of all this what's she gonna do now <laughs> like, also always. where did it all go do I have everything I wanted I hope so <laughs> yeah. it's always just this huge experiment like you know like and it's it's funny because you know this is a, over the space of over a decade that I ran Goddess Circle and the Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like I was kind of changing my mind all the time. It was just like every few years I'm like, all right, I think like the next evolution might be to do this and to do that and um, trying to give people as much notice as possible. But of course, it's really hard to you know make sure 10,000 people know. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the, I did eventually find the email. It was like, oh, she did say, I just missed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, but, you know, I mean, to handle that kind of, oh, hey, I'm going to do an e-course and then growing it into this huge thing on Ning and then on from there had to have, well, maybe it didn't have to be overwhelming. Maybe it didn't feel as overwhelming to you as it feels like it would have if it had been me in my head. So I'm curious to know, like, how, how did that all go? I mean, I know it was all an experiment, but beyond that, did it reach a point where it was just like, this is too big and too much or were you just sort of eh I'm done with this it's time to do something else yeah right no it's never like I I haven't reached a point where something's too big for me it's more just after you know nearly a decade of doing it I was like okay I'd like to try something try something new now and it's never really been overwhelming because it's always just like the next step like what do I do the next step so I think with the goddess circle I ended up having 140 courses in there um, for people. And I think I'm now up to like, I think I've created now over 170 courses in the last 12 years or whatever. Um, And that seems very overwhelming when you look at it from that perspective. But in the moment, I was just doing the next thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the next course, the next program, the next resource, whatever would help people. I'd just make that. And so it wasn't overwhelming. Were you shocked at the number of people who signed up for Goddess Circle? Or by that time, were you kind of expecting it? Good question. No, I don't think I've ever really been shocked. Um, excited, but not but not shocked. So for me, it was going into creating the Goddess Circle. What I'd been doing beforehand is I had individual programs available. And I was running them as like in terms. So like every term I would do, you know, four more courses, live rounds, that kind of stuff. Um, And um, then I had my first daughter and I knew that I needed to make more money, but I needed to make it in the most efficient and easy way possible because I had a baby that needed me constantly. She did not sleep and uh, she just breastfed constantly for a year. Um, And... So that's when I had this kind of divine download from the angels to create the Goddess Circle where I would give people all of my resources, um, all of my courses and kits, and I would do it for a really cheap price. Like I would do it for less than a hundred bucks and they'd get access for a full year and they would get every new course for free as well that came out. So it ended up just being like this stupidly ridiculous deal, you know. <laughs> and even by the end, you know, I had like 140 programs in there um, and still, you know, the price was pretty cheap still. It was, I think, by the time I closed it down, it was maybe 500 bucks maybe. I can't remember. Anyway, so it was just like this long evolution and – just taking it step by step, but making sure that I could give people as much as I could without it necessarily needing my one-to-one time because I needed that for my baby. Mm-hmm. So how did 
How did that shift work for you going from first in-person workshops to to online classes, which are more similar to in-person workshops, to offering things that didn't actually require you to be involved at the time as someone went through them? Did that shift how you thought about teaching? Did you miss doing the one-on-one or, or group things or how, how did that go? Um, for me, when I set up the e-courses, it was always like pre-recorded material and then there was just some live components to it. So it was a fairly easy adjustment to, you know, having no, like no one-to-one, like no group live stuff with me really all just pre-recorded content um but for me personally i didn't miss um the one-to-one stuff really um especially when obviously my new phase of life you know i just couldn't imagine being having the capacity to get out of the house away from my baby (laughs) um and also because i like at my heart of hearts i'm an introvert i also um have autism and so doing social stuff as as fun and enjoyable as it is i am absolutely a party animal um it's enormously depleting for me so i need to be very cautious of that um and keep my tank filled from to be able to parent okay because that takes a lot of energy apparently absolutely yeah i as a former teacher you know i would miss seeing the looks on students' faces or seeing the work that they produce, which is why I was just curious about that because mm. it is a different experience. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for anyone who is more extrovert-based or like needs that interaction with people, it is going to be a, a, a real change. But for people who like me who just live inside their own head, <laughs> it's fine. It's great, actually. It's actually amazing. <laughs> How has has the actual art that you do changed over the years? Has it, you know, do you do less of it? Do you do more of it now? I mean, I mean, you have so many things going that I'm just kind of wondering how how does it fit in? Mm, good question. So I don't do as much like painting as I used to. So I used to do a lot of acrylic and watercolor paintings and sell those. Um, I don't do as much now. I tend to do more digital art illustration for like my products, for programs, eBooks. I just did like I was bored. So I'd made like a calm Christmas planner to put on Etsy. Um, So that's like where the creative stuff tends to come out. But I still paint an art journal and collage in my for my private practice I just don't use it for any parts of my business um, and my kids and I are doing an art journal e-course at the moment and it's so much fun oh, cool. uh, with Tammy Hudgen who's just amazing and um, yeah we just so enjoy that there's this our whole kitchen table is we've had it for 10 years it is covered in paint I will never get rid of it because it's <laughs> full of so many memories um, and this is where we set up and we just make an absolute disaster zone with paint and glitter and ink and everything. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's pretty good fun. And I appreciate I I remember I went to a workshop, a painting workshop with my kids and a bunch of our friends and their kids. And one of my friends said to me later, you know, Leonie, it was really interesting watching your kids painting because when I looked around at some of the other kids, everyone was very, like, they're all hesitant. They're all like, how do I do this right? And your kids are just like, they didn't give a fuck. They didn't give a single fuck how it looked. Like, they just wanted to have a great time and paint, you know? Well, and, you know, I feel like that is such a, a huge thing with people, even, you know, people who've done creative work for a long time can get hung up on, I feel like I have to do it right. You know, yeah. it has to be perfect. And I, I I envy your kids on behalf of all of them, because I feel <laughs> like we would all be so much happier, more creative people if we could just throw the paint at the paper and not worry about that so much. Yeah. And I think... I think it's challenging as well. Like I know a lot of people use Instagram and Pinterest for, you know, visual inspiration, but on some level it can make you very stuck 
in ter- like you are looking at finished artworks that are produced for a certain market um, and not recognizing the absolute validity and worth of art that is made just for you and because it makes you feel good. It doesn't actually have to look good. It doesn't at all. You can just go have a great time and just make some shit. Yeah. I mean, making stuff is... I, I just did a little pep talk episode about this today, so it'll have gone out by the time your interview goes out. But it's like, this stuff takes courage. It takes guts. And we don't recognize how much courage it takes just to move from, I see this thing in my head, to I've done something with it outside of my brain. And then we get so worked up about, is it good enough? And, oh, I did this, but it's terrible, and I should never paint again, or I should never write again, or or whatever. And it's like, you know, everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. And even somebody who has done, you know, say, a decade of fantastic work still starts from nothing, just like you. Mm-hmm. And you don't see the different drafts. You don't see all the stuff that went on with it. And you just decide it's ridiculous. And you don't even stop to give yourself credit for the courage that it took for you to do it at all. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, we got to rethink that. You know, we Mm. need, we really need to say, starting when kids are young, hey, you did this thing. That's awesome good on you yeah. for putting that on a piece of paper or singing that song and who cares if you got a couple wrong notes in there doesn't matter you still did that which is more than a lot of people do yeah you know so I, do you have any words of wisdom for anybody who wants to do that with their kids and is afraid to sure I mean for me I say to like when my daughter says mommy do you like my artwork I say first and foremost it doesn't matter if I like your artwork. Do you like your artwork? And she goes, yeah. Okay, that is the most important thing. But the actual real most important thing is, did you have fun when you when you were making it? She was like, yes, I did. I was like, that, that is actually the most important thing. Like everything else doesn't, it, does, it just really doesn't matter. So um, keeping that front of mind when you're creating, that it's meant to be a fun process, that you're meant to be enjoying yourself. That's what it's really here for. And that the end product is just a random side effect of that fun experience, really. I love that way of putting that. It's a random side effect. I yeah, it's and it's great. just like, oh, that's, that's what happened when I had that amount of fun. Yeah, that is such a great way of looking at it. Almost like the the finished product is the souvenir of the fact that you did this awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean stuff like stuff got marked in the process and that is the exp- <laughs> that's the markings. It's like this table. This table is um the random side effect of all the art we've done over the last decade. <laughs> yeah, you have a particularly great souvenir. It's fantastic. I do. I do. And I mean, if like, I know that some parents, you know, don't feel like they can arm their kids with paints and inks and stuff because, you know, they're in a rented house or they just don't want to wreck everything. Um, And my recommendation is just give them watercolors. Watercolors are totally great. Um, And when my kids were little and just spilled shit constantly and got it all over the face and hands or whatever, watercolor, because it's just, you can just Wipe it down and it's fine. You can get on with your life. Save like the more difficult acrylics till they actually have some hand-eye coordination and behavior (laughs) skills. Yeah, yeah, no, you could be spending hours of your life cleaning that stuff up. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was like, I, I want this to still be an enjoyable process, not something that I regret constantly. So, and I wouldn't even give them the tubes of watercolor paint. It was just dry you know just Mm -hmm. dry cake tits like that's all we got and they are going to be like all just black and brown by the end and whatever that's that's fantastic Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how your kids approach art as they get older yeah it'll be yeah I'm fascinated just see whatever their journey unfolds but of course like they also may live their life in reaction to this level of creative hippie you know what I mean like they (laughs) My my 11-year-old currently dresses like a goth, um, which is hilarious to this wow. very rainbow hippie. So, of course, they're going to be. 
Of course. And they need to experiment with that too. Yeah, totally. Right. So whatever their journey is, that's great, but I can only just do the best I can from here and um, try and enjoy myself wherever I can. You know, I, I feel like that's another thing that gets lost too. You know, I, I hear so many people say, you know, oh, well, they call it work because it isn't supposed to be fun or things like that. Not, not just about work, you know, about anything. It's like, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to enjoy this experience as much as we possibly can while we're still breathing. Mm. And, and yet I feel like, you know, the, the culture has just, especially on my side of the pond, has driven this whole, you know... I have this image in my head, like the industrial revolution somehow caused us to believe that we should be more like a factory machine than like a human being. And so now, you know, we're supposed to work forever without having much vacation and we're supposed to constantly put in extra hours, even if it's killing us. And, you know, and and I feel like we need to get back to the idea that, no, you know what? we're supposed to be having fun. Mm. Yeah. Fine. And I like, I guess that's why like, you know, the great resignation was kind of fueled by this when people realized that they actually didn't need as much money to live, you know, when they live simpler lives um, and to recognize that they, they have freedom and flexibility to, you know, the work online for a lot of different companies or to do their own thing because businesses really, the startup business market really grew over this pandemic period. Um, yeah, for me, like, I guess I never wanted to give up my creativity or my kids. Um, and so I needed to create some way around that so that I could have everything, have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> um, but, you know, even when I worked in, yeah, like I used to work in the public service. I never submitted to being ordinary. Mm-hmm. I was always coming up with some madcap schemes to take, I'd say, glitter into the belly of the beast. Like how can we create as much fun and as much um, love and, you know, irreverence in this place as possible? And so I would just do just the weirdest shit. Like I had a a hugging competition at work one day and hugged 400 people in one day in my office building. Um, And then I pitched to a department head that um, I create like a newsletter and go around and interview people in our department um, about, you know, who they were and their passions and their dreams and stuff so that everyone could get to know each other on a, on a bigger basis, uh, like on a better basis. And, um, like I would do, I had angel cards always at my desk, was always giving card readings at my desk. If I walked into an elevator at work, anybody who knew me would immediately turn around and present their shoulders because they knew I'd give them a massage. Like it was so <laughs> much fun. Like just like, you know, the most wizened old finance guys were like, oh, Leonie, that's great. Let's go. <laughs> you know, so fun. So fun. So they went for it. They didn't look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Get back to work. No, no, no. I nev- they never had that discussion. Like I would just get department heads saying, thanks so much for like bringing so much joy to the department. I'm like, yeah, of course. Wow. I, I feel like this could be, you know, your next course or a mini course because I feel like workplaces <laughs> need that kind of energy and people are afraid to step out of line. Yeah. Well, you know, you just micro step and, you know, I kind of would get as much approval as like I thought I would need, like to get the, do the newsletter and stuff like that. But yeah, there's like, when you're enthusiastic, people will go for a lot of things. <laughs> I love the image that I have now of you just kind of killing them with enthusiasm. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal and awesome. I, I feel like that's a major culture change right there. If people who listen to this take it, you know, back into the office for those offices that are back in person, you know, and, and would be so, so welcome. It was, it was so fun. And even like for lunch hours, um, I'd go, okay, I've got an hour's lunch or whatever. 
so I would email like, you know, work friends and people who like worked in that area um, and go, you know, there's a secret mission happening today at Pancake Parlor. Um, you have to come dressed as blah, like, and you have to like, you know, they may not have any outfits with them, of course. So they may need to use some office equipment <laughs> to pull this off. But you must write down three secrets on a post-it note. They're all going into the pink hat. Uh, we're going to make up names and you cannot call anyone by their real name. Um, and it would just be like this cavalcade of just craziness and fun um, for an hour. And then we trip back to work. And it would be great. And we would just get all these randoms because I'm like, invite anyone that you like. And so we would have like 20 complete strangers rock up and then just have the most hilarious hour of their lives. I really want this to catch on. I can't even tell you how much I want this to catch on right now. Just treat your life like performance art, you know, just like, what can I do that's over the top today? And when it was springtime, as soon as it was like 25 degrees Celsius, which is like, you know, somewhat not freezing anymore, <laughs> um, we would have a 25 degree party in the in the park outside my office for lunch and we would frolic. We would literally frolic. I would make everyone frolic through the garden and we would just have the most glorious picnic under the sun, um, which is complete randos, like whoever showed up, great. I, I seriously, seriously love this. I know I keep saying that, but I really, really do. I, I feel like so many places have lost that energy because so many people have lost that energy or they think that they'll be called unprofessional or, you know, even it may not even be that. It may be that, you know, when they did something like that as a kid, somebody made fun of them for it. So they think it's not okay. And it, I just feel like our lives would be so much better, you know, even even for people who swear that they're not creative, and I swear if you're breathing, you are creative. I've said it before. I will say it till I have no more breath. But, you know, it's a chance to just, like you were saying earlier, but in a different context, experiment with who you are. Experiment mm. with having permission to frolic outside on the first really nice day of the year just because you can. Mm. And I think once you have that kind of permission, you're much more likely to branch into the other things that you've wanted to do all this time, but for whatever reason, believe you can't do. And then how is the world not a better place for it? Yeah. And here's the thing, like, you know, I'm sure some people may have, I mean, now that I think back on it, I wasn't really thinking at the time. I'm sure some people just thought, this chick <laughs> is a bit too much. This chick is a bit much. Um but my philosophy is, is like whoever's having the most fun wins. Like would I prefer to be the person having fun or I prefer to be the person who's like being cynical about having fun? No, I'm always going to choose fun and hilarious and ridiculous. And if some people are like about it, well, they're probably not very pleasant to be around. So I don't really care. I'm not really interested in their opinion because they don't seem like much fun. I think that's totally reasonable. You know, it's it's like kind of like knowing your audience. Like, mm. Okay, you're not my audience. See you later. I'm going to go have fun. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like continue being miserable. Carry on. I'm sure you'll find something else to be cross about. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me to imagine that happening in, you know, a presumably fairly staid government setting. Mm. <laughs> so was anybody surprised? I can't imagine that they were when you branched out and started doing your own wild creative thing. Yeah, not surprised whatsoever. Just, oh, like, yeah, that makes sense. That lines up. That <laughs> really lines up with that situation. <laughs> Do you think... I'm kind of, you know, new to the whole world of neurodivergence myself, just having found mm. out that I have ADHD earlier this year and nobody ever knew, but boy, it explains a lot. Mm. Do you think that your neurodivergence influences all of that, makes you more likely to say, I want to go have a party where I'm going to go frolic outside because I can? Does, how, do you, how do you think that has influenced everything that you do? Because it has to have, I would think. I, like... How could for it not? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I have no clue what level is personality and what clue is like and what part is neurodivergence. It's all just a, a marvelous mystery. <laughs> um, but it's pretty fun. And I appreciate that my brain works in a way where it's like, well, the person who's having the most amount of fun wins. So therefore I shall ha- I shall I shall have fun. Um, and the same way works for like in terms of being authentic, I knew that even if I was authentic as myself and some people didn't like that, it's fine because at least I get to be, got to be myself. And that would mean that I was having the most enjoyable life possible. Um, and that the people who it did resonate with would kind of fit beautifully into that. I'd be known for who I actually was. So it just makes logical sense really to be self-confident, to be yourself, to be authentic and to not really worry too much about other people. Um, I think it's a logical point of view to take. I think it is. I think it's it's well, another one of those things that gets trained out of us, you know, sit down, be quiet, do as you're told, you know, mm. and in, you know, worse situations, you shouldn't feel that way. It's like, well, but I do. You know, yeah. and, and so we learn to hide it and try to deny it rather than saying, sorry, this is how I feel. This is what's going mm-hmm. on with me right now. Um, and then we think that, that we're just not allowed to have that level of authenticity because it was, you know, what we learned as kids or, or even later on, you know, in a relationship or a work environment or, or wherever. So, yeah, I, th- I think... Because I'm also thinking, you, you know, in terms of what you've done business-wise, that level of authenticity is like its own filter. You know, the people yeah. who don't resonate with you are probably the people that you're not going to resonate with. So everybody's happy. They go do their thing. You do your thing. And yet so many people are like, oh, no, no. If I say this, I'm going to scare customers away. No, you'll just scare the wrong customers away. The look on Leonie's face here is great. <laughs> it's like you don't actually want those customers, right? You, you, you really don't. Um, and the ones that are meant for you will love you even more. So, you know, for me, I even say on my sales pages now, if you are a conspiracy theorist or if you voted for Trump, you're – this is not the right course for you because I am going to piss you off. Um, because it's just, I'm not going to be able to contain my leftist kind of philosophies, but, you know, not far radical left that has swiveled so far around they've gone to right. Mm-hmm. Um you know, just, and you know, I like science. I like vaccinations. I like um, data. I like learning about racist justice and social justice issues. So um, I need to use my platform for the things that I feel are important, things like climate change. Um, So if you're somebody who doesn't get those things, then I am going to annoy you. I'm really going to annoy you. So it's not the right place. Yeah, I I noticed that on one of your recent listeners. I was like, wow, you go, girl. (laughs) Could you imagine, though, if I had an actual Trump person on one of my calls, they would just be like, "Uh uh-oh. They they wouldn't know what what had hit them. Yeah. You're right. It would frustrate them and annoy them and and just make Mm. them angry. So what's the point? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, just because I'm a Scorpio and I'm petty, I actually don't want to teach people how to make more money if they're not going to use it for good things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is that, that side of things. It's like you're allowed to have an opinion and you're allowed to decide how you want what you're offering to be used in the world. I think that's perfectly reasonable. And, mm. you know, anybody who's just like, go get everybody no matter what and please everyone is crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't do it anywhere else in your life. I'm not sure why you would think that you ought to do it in a business environment. I mean, even even Coca-Cola has to know that there are people who love Pepsi and are never going to buy the stuff in the red can. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And, you know, we even ran Facebook ads for a while and we turned them off because we found that it would just caught fish that didn't belong to us. You know, they would be like, why am I here? And I'm like, I 
don't know. I, how did you end up here? Like, this is so confusing. Um, because, you know, they were offended that I swore. Um, and swearing is not something that I hide. It's like, it is on my sales pages. It is everywhere. <laughs> so I needed to, I needed to, like, for me, it's better to have, like, word of mouth or interviews people get a taste of me first and like that's a personality I really jive with or no thank you none for me like I am full up um I need to have that intro talk with people before they sign up for my shit I think that's just so so wise and since you mentioned Facebook and earlier you mentioned getting off of social media I know you did that as a like a three-week test to mm. see what happened. And I I deactivated my Facebook account right a, a little bit more than 4 years ago. <sighs> and I haven't I haven't killed it completely because there are some people that I still talk to on Messenger and they let you keep that. But yes. but I you know and it's funny because like I posted about it for 2 weeks before I did it. And I still had people who somehow, because, you know, in the great wide wisdom of Facebook, never saw the post, I got a message from my own cousin saying, did you defriend me on Facebook? I'm like, well, I sort of defriended everybody. I deactivated the whole account. It wasn't personal. It was just, you know, because I didn't like what it was doing to me. You know, mm. I didn't like the person that I was when I was on there. And I knew I was spending too much time on it. And it took about two weeks before I detoxed from it. So I'm yeah. curious to hear, you know, is, is that about what happened with you? And I mean, you undid everything at the same time. And I just focused on Facebook because that was what I was on most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, like I was, I thought I would only just do it as a 21-day experience. And it, like I just had a long list of things that I wanted to try out as 21-day experiments. And the no social media thing was the thing I wanted to try most of all. So I made that my first ex experiment. And um, I was petrified before I did it. I thought, oh my God, what's going to happen? Is my business going to be okay? Am I going to miss anything? Like, will my friends remember me? <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I don't even, I don't even know, but I was so scared of doing it. And then as soon as I did, it just felt like an enormous relief. I did feel like kind of sick and like, what am I supposed to do with all my time? And oh God, what now? Um, but after that passed, I just had this enormous clarity and so much time. You mm -hmm. just have so much time, guys, because the average person spends two and a half hours a day at least on social media. Check your like your phone stats and whatever um, to see how much you're spending. But that's that's a significant portion of your day. It's ten percent, um, and when you look at it over a week as well, you know, that's 14 hours plus. Yeah. That's a part-time job. That's a part-time mm -hmm. job. You could be, you could take a university course. You could have another child. You could write a book. You could do so many things with your amazing life in that time. Um, so it was just, it was less about saying no to social media and just saying yes to the rest of life and realizing I actually had time for hobbies that I didn't think I had time for anymore. Yeah. I, I think that's the most insidious thing is that you think it's just for a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there, but it's really a lot of time. It is. And it's designed to do mm -hmm. that to you. There was this two great books that I always recommend, How to Break Up With Your Phone by Catherine Price and Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And it goes into all of the research. Um, you know, they have literally hired thousands of, of um psychologists and, you know, and like addiction analysts to work out how to make this system as addictive for your brain as possible. They're, they're running thousands of tests every single day to work out how they can make you stay a minute longer in there uh, and then add another minute on mm -hmm. and then add another minute on. Um, and it really is like being attached to pokey machines, you know, slot machines as they call it in the US. Um, they're using the same psychological uh, flaws and vulnerabilities and they are willingly and knowingly do this. And, and you know, talk about using your powers for good or not. I mean, mm. there, there's there got to be some serious ethical considerations going into anybody who has a degree in psych and decides to use it that way. I, yeah. I just cannot fathom 
being one of those people, but you know, that's what we have ethics for, I guess. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it, it is so totally designed to hook you in and keep you there and your whole life can pass by before you even realize that five minutes is gone. You know, yep. your whole evening can be gone. And, and mm -hmm. I hear people say, oh, I keep Facebook to, you know, keep in touch with my friends. I'm like, I think you think you keep Facebook to keep in touch with your friends, but the algorithm makes sure that you keep Facebook so that you can keep going on Facebook. Yeah, and absolutely. Spending all of your time there. And then you say, oh, but I don't have any time to write my book and I don't have any time to paint. Mm. It's like, mm, yeah, you probably do. Mm. It's just that you're spending it there. Yeah, and I'm connect more connected with my friends now than I was because before you're just like looking at everyone else's stuff, mm -hmm. not necessarily interacting, but now I make an actual point to connect with people. So I am pen pals with dozens of my friends. We weren't pen pals before. And I feel like I learn so much more from just a letter or a card in the mail than I would in a thousand like status updates because they'll also tell me what's really going on as well yeah. not just like the filtered version um and you know actually spending time with people in person like you know when the pandemic allows is hugely important and I, I still do have messenger for direct messaging with with people um because that was the easiest platform for me to, mm -hmm. to keep contacts at some point that'll probably phase out but um, yeah, it's great that you can keep messenger so you can still keep in contact with people. You just can't just, you know, voyeuristically stare at everyone's shit. Yeah, yeah. And and I love that you turned the whole thing into a course because I feel like there have been so many people who feel like they want away from it. But, you know, so many people have been told you have to post on Instagram and you have to post on Facebook and you have to do this and you have to do that in order to, you know, sell your stuff. And mm. obviously people were selling lots of stuff before any of these things existed. So it was really refreshing to see, oh, look, she's doing a course on how to market stuff without any of this. It's like, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> we can mm. all free ourselves from it. Because there's, this is the thing, there are thousands of ways to market your business. All of them are completely optional. And social media is just one of those. And it's completely optional. It's not necessarily the best way to market. So, for example, I had a friend who's a hairdresser and had just started a new studio and she's like, business is really slow. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm doing more social media posts. And I was like, how's that going? And she's like, no, nope, I'm not getting anything. Maybe I need to buy Facebook ads. And I'm like, no. What you need to do is you need to print some flyers and she was, her place was, her studio was in an industrial estate. I said, all of your like potential customers are in that industrial estate. They work there and they're like, I just wish I could get a haircut in my lunch hour. You need to like do a flyer up, take it around to all the local businesses and go, you know, because we're business neighbors, I'll give you 20 bucks off your first haircut. Um, and she was like, oh my God. Oh, that's a, okay, I'll do that. So she printed up the flyers. It cost fuck all through Vistaprint or whatever, did it around. And then within two weeks, she was fully booked. Like there are so much better ways to market your business than just continually using social media. Yeah. And, and you know, a couple of years ago, obviously before I deactivated my account, I did try Facebook ads. And, and I mean, I do not know the science behind Facebook ads. It was a pretty basic thing for a couple of book signings that I did and for a couple of, of small courses that I offered. And I don't think any of them ever yielded anything, which is why I was like, mm. even if I'm only throwing, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it was into this, why? If I'm mm. not even getting one person coming to the website from it, much less actually coming to a book signing or signing up for a course. Why, why am I doing this? Mm. You know, it just seems like everybody throws that out there as, oh, you should be doing Facebook ads. And it's like, mm, no, there's got to be some other way to do this that mm -hmm. doesn't also, you know, reward Mark Zuckerberg and his algorithms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially these days. Yeah. 
So, so I know I appreciate that. And I, I know I saw plenty of other people clearly were just like, take my money. I want to know how this works. So it's, it's fascinating because it's now become, you know, it was just something people just kept on asking me again and again, like the only bit you're not running your business on social media anymore. And yet it's still continuing to produce so much. Like, tell me how. And it's becoming one of the most popular, like, and every single month it gets more and more popular, I think, because people do it and then they're like, oh my God, you should do this course. It's like life changing. So it's, yeah, but bizarre out of all my programs that that's becoming the, the number one board every month, which is amazing. I don't think it's bizarre at all, though. I think there's a huge untapped need that you just kind of stumbled into when you did your experiment and said, hey, look, it still works. Yeah, you know, yeah, so true. I'm glad somebody is is in there. So, um, but on a completely different topic, because I know we're almost mm. out of time, I wanted to ask you about the the little. I'm not even sure what you called it. You sent out a freebie a maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh yeah, that was kind of a wild little random thing, and mm. I. You know, and I, I think that was essentially what you called it in, in Leo yeah. speak, not in, in my terms. But I was so fascinated by it. And I just wondered if you could, you know, talk a little bit about how you created it and why you decided to share it. Because it's not like anything that I've ever seen from you before, I don't think. Mm. And mm. so you'll be able to describe it better than I will. So I'll let you do that. Sure. So it was, it was um, kind of like a comic book slash zine slash photo collage, um, drawings, writings, mutterings, um, but all kind of hand, well, hand drawn, hair illustrated. Um, and for me, I'd been wanting to, like, I love graphic novels and graphic memoirs and um, I wanted to create something in that format, but I felt really overwhelmed with the idea of it. And so I just used um, an app called Goodreads and you can take notes in there. It's such a great note taking. And it's not like a professional design illustrator kind of app. So, which was good because I didn't want it to like freak me out completely. <laughs> um, I just wanted to be able to write and take notes and add pictures of stuff in. And so it was yeah, like a like a little digital journal of mutterings and thoughts that I'd had over a few months. And um, I thought, eh, that's cute. <laughs> wow, see what think. And I thought I would just send it to my list of like hyper fans. I've got people that sign up to get everything from me. Um, and, and I sent it to a thousand and I didn't really expect to get much. And I just got so many emails back and I thought, oh, okay, maybe I should send it to um, – you know, everyone as as well, like everyone on my mailing list because there's 50-something thousand on there, I think. Um, and, yeah, just some responses were really beautiful. I think just it being just a strange creative offering, me just going, I'm not really sure what this is, but it's stuff. It's I make something. You can look <laughs> at it if you like. Um, and people really enjoyed the, the energy of it. I, I think that it because it's so different i think it gave us a space to look at it differently and kind of go hmm this is interesting and different and i'm not exactly sure what it is but it's it's oddly compelling and really cool and also maybe i could share things that i'm not sure what they are mm. and that would be okay yeah yeah, I had a beautiful woman email me and she runs a website. I'm pretty sure it's called The Mother Ranch. Let me quickly just double check because I don't want her to get her URL wrong. Ranch or range? That will be the big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, she emailed and said, I was so inspired that um, I did the same thing. I opened up Goodreads and made a little something something it is it's the mother .com. and she ended up writing this beautiful handwriting and drawing this beautiful blog post about um reactive 
attachment disorder, which is um, what some uh, adopted children can experience or children who've gone through extreme trauma. Um, and it was so beautiful and compelling and I was so touched that she'd written it. And just, you know, if she'd written the words just in text, it wouldn't have had the same amount of impact, but because she could draw around it and colour in that experience, it was it was that much more potent and powerful. It's it's just more permission to experiment. Mm. Yeah. I feel like that's a, a great theme and a great note to end on, actually. So I love it. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. It's been fabulous. Oh, thanks, Nancy. Thanks for like letting me do this. And thanks for being a part of my world for so long. I so appreciate it. That's our show. My deepest thanks to Leonie Dawson and to you for listening. I have all of Leonie's links for you in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.